Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Law's podcast, Trevo. I'm your host, Haley Duradawan, and this is The Current State. Hi, all. Haley here once again with another fantastic episode of Trevo, your favorite international law current events podcast. Today, we are discussing a topic which is as current as it is an event, China's new land border law. I'm going to turn it over to Travo contributor Julia Wang to give us a little background on this new law. Hi, Julia. Hey, Haley. So on October 23rd, China passed a land border law, which was the first time that it's ever dedicated a law to how it governs its land borders with 14 neighbors. And according to the legislature, the law was made necessary by new problems and challenges that China faces. Together with its Coast Guard and Maritime Traffic Safety Laws, which were both passed earlier this year, Beijing seems to be using domestic law to legitimize actions that it's already taken and to override established norms and international law. So what exactly does the new law do? So basically, once it goes into effect on January 1st of next year, the law enables China to combat any act that would undermine its sovereignty and territorial integrity. This includes closing its border due to security threats and allowing for public order agencies and the army to mobilize and guard the border. It also places a strong emphasis on infrastructure expansion and economic development to support people who are living in border regions. Furthermore, the law prioritizes negotiating with neighboring countries to properly resolve disputes and longstanding border issues. And why is China passing this law now? That's a great question. Probably the most salient issue that this law addresses is China's territorial disputes with other countries. Since the end of World War II, China has participated in more territorial disputes than any other country, though it's largely settled these disputes through bilateral agreements that usually compromise over the land sovereignty. However, scholars are still concerned over China's willingness to use force over territory. Recently, China has ramped up infrastructure building in border areas near India, Bhutan, and Afghanistan. And the land border law suggests that Beijing is employing the same lawfare approach that it used in the South China Sea in order to legitimize its territorial expansion. One of the new problems and challenges could be trying to make some sort of progress in negotiations over the line of actual control, or LAC, between India and China. China is currently in a 17-month military standoff with India over the LAC, which has resulted in conflicts and fatalities on both sides. With the law's emphasis on civilian development, China seems to be justifying its settlement building, infrastructure development, and military occupation along the LAC. According to Professor Brahma Chalani, China is using this law to give a stamp of approval to its assertive and expansionist actions. Additionally, there is a provision on the protection and reasonable use of water resources that seems to target India. The Brahmaputra River, an important water supply for India, has its source in Tibet. And China's recent plans for hydropower development near the LAC have become another source of contention. With this provision, China's government may be considering the possibility of controlling water volume during conflicts with India under the guise of protecting the stability of transboundary rivers and lakes. Lastly, it's important to also remember that the two countries have entered into a series of bilateral agreements since the 1962 Sino-Indian War to try to de-escalate the situation along the LAC. However, China's unilateral passage of this new law is yet another challenge to those agreements and further impedes already slow negotiations over the boundary. Now, having read your article, friendly reminder to check it out on the blog, y'all, I know that there are some human rights law concerns relating to the land border law. Can you tell us a little bit about those concerns? Absolutely. Using the provision about safeguarding its territorial integrity, China can continue justifying its hostility toward refugees, especially from North Korea and Myanmar. 
Specifically, the law prohibits using sound, lighting, or signs, as well as sending materials through air or water across its borders, which is reminiscent of the 2020 South Korean law that banned activists from sending material that criticized the North Korean regime across the border. Even though it's a signatory to both the 1951 Refugee Convention and the 1967 Protocol, China routinely circumvents its legal obligations by denying refugees legitimate status, often labeling North Korean refugees as economic migrants and Burmese refugees as border residents. The Chinese government routinely repatriates refugees back to North Korea, where they often face harsh punishments for attempting to defect. In honoring its 1986 bilateral agreement with Pyongyang that outlaws illegal border crossings, Beijing is violating international law by legalizing the forced repatriation of North Korean refugees. In Myanmar's case, the 2021 military coup there has exacerbated existing tensions between the two countries and caused renewed concern that Burmese refugees will cross the border into China to escape violence. The Chinese government recently sent away large numbers of Burmese migrant workers who have worked in China for years and are understandably reluctant to return to a country ravaged by civil war. In the last two months, China has also faced multiple charges of encroachment into Myanmar territory because of fencing and cameras that it's installed along the border in its efforts to prevent any spillover of the fighting. Lastly, with the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, China may fear that the Taliban's takeover could lead to an influx of refugees or Islamic extremists across the two countries' short border. In its quote-unquote war against extremism, China argues that international extremist groups are aiding Uyghur separatists in Xinjiang. According to independent experts, China's detainment of more than a million Muslims in Xinjiang has violated every provision in the UN Genocide Convention. Overall, Beijing continues to view any influxes of refugees as a threat to national security. Officially enacting a land border law only provides more domestic justification for China's unlawful treatment of refugees and encroachment into disputed territory under the guise of protecting national security. Plus, through the law's provisions on combating terrorism, separatism, and religious extremism, the Chinese government can internally justify its human rights abuses while externally rejecting the nature of its actions. Thank you for that review, Julia. Now, and I know this is an annoying question given all the amazing research you've put into this over the past week, but what are your concluding thoughts on China's new land border law? Well, traditionally, governments have appealed to international rules and norms to further their own interests in the domestic political arena. So domestic actors have usually either used international law to provide reasoning for a domestic course of action or actually incorporated principles from international law into domestic laws. However, by using its own laws to legitimize its violations of international norms, China is, in effect, flipping the typical domestic approach to international law. Not only does the land border law enable China to continue its assertive actions over disputed territory, but it also legitimizes its abuses of human rights and shirking of legal responsibilities under international conventions. Thank you for speaking with us today, Julia. For listeners who would like to read more about the land border law, head over to our blog, Travo. Thank you for listening. Travo is brought to you by Haley Duradawan, Kayleen Kosla, and the members of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Travo. See you next week. Au revoir.